Welcome y'all to the Direct Examination Podcast. My name is Amber Fulmer. I'm Dane Phillips. And I'm Joseph Bias. Um, thank you everybody for listening. Uh, as we always talk about, we couldn't do this without you guys. Uh, we really appreciate the feedback, the recommendation for guests, um, the volunteering to be on, the constructive criticism. The hate mail. The hate mail, <laughs> uh, mostly directed at Dane. Uh, we appreciate all of that. Uh, however, if you're listening uh, do us a favor, go on iTunes, give us a rating, five stars. If it's under five stars, you can let us know. We'll take that up with yeah, you personally. Right. <laughs> yeah, don't put that on there. Yeah, yeah, right. um, Contact write, Joseph. Write us a review. But more importantly, if you're, re- if you're listening to this, I said reading, but I'm reading. They're listening. If they're listening to this, go to thefreetimes.com, F-R-E-E-T-I-M-E-S.com. Our co-host here wants really bad to be the best DUI attorney in <laughs> Columbia. So go ahead and nominate Dane Phillips for uh, best DUI attorney at our freetimes.com. And if you get a DUI, tell Dane, you mentioned it, you heard about it on the podcast, he'll give you a discount. It's, it's like a Groupon. That's so, right. I didn't know he was going to do that, but I thought he was going to go in the direction of everybody go to the free times and talk about the pod. Make sure the free times knows about the pod. That's they have it. not done an article on the pod and we have pretty much covered Virtually most of the main people, the the players in Columbia, that that's right. The free times uh, after after our three guests today, we will have hit every single important attorney in Columbia. So that's that's just true. So if you didn't get before today, you're just not an important attorney. Sorry, <laughs> said the insurance. <laughs> that's right, that's right. <laughs> um. Also coming up this summer, we're really excited. Uh, we have some episodes on lawyer ethics. We're going to get a malpractice attorney in here. We're going to do uh, have some legislatures, talk about labor and employment. We have a judge schedule. So we have a bunch of different types of uh, episodes. If you have any questions that you want us to ask these guests, or if you have any suggestions for guests, you can always email us at directexaminationpodcast at gmail.com or get us on social media at SCLawPod on Instagram, uh, Twitter, Twitter, and Facebook. 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 Yeah. Right. And, and I'm back from Lent. So I was about to say, can Amber, talk you're, to me now. And you're back on the pod. We're also we're it's yeah. good to have you back. I know. I y'all missed the y'all y'all. <laughs> <laughs> we certainly did. The amount of mail we got just wanting the accent back. Basically, they said, oh, "I'm sorry, you, you, you two guys suck." Yeah, where, where's Amber? You butchered so. me on Swirling's episode. It was <laughs> it it hurt. Well, Dane, we have a plaintiff's roundtable today. Um, you know, unfortunately, there are two sides of every part of the law. There's a Right side and the plaintiff side. So we're going to hear from the uh, three plaintiff's attorneys. I'm going to ask them why they chose to uh, do the type of... So who do we got today? So first we'll start with Jamie Smith. She's been a plaintiff's lawyer for six years, concentrating primarily on personal injury, automobile accidents, and consumer law and insurance denials. She's been with the Mike Kelly Law Group since 2015. She's a graduate of USC, both undergrad and law school, so love that Carolina pride. Oh, yeah. And Clearly, we know that Joseph's wrong, so we're going to spend most of today's episode <laughs> saying why. Exactly. Uh, well, why I'm wrong? Yeah, that's every episode. Yeah, I mean, I've well, told him why he's wrong many times. That's, that's fair. That's so, also true. Thank you so much for coming on. We have many other people in the room. It's a whole big right. round table. We have Clark literally. Newton. Um, Clark's a graduate of University of Florida in the USC Law School. Uh, Clark and I were public defenders together. Um, then he went to private practice with Blue Steam Attorneys, where he's been. For uh, six years, he's practiced in medical malpractice, wrongful death, personal injury, and trucking accidents, 
Clark was also a former co-chair of the Protecting Our Youth Committee and a recipient of Legal Elites of the Midlands designation. Amber, who you got on your side? Well, I would give a drum roll for my introduction for my guest, but Brittany might slap me for this table. But I'm very proud to introduce S. Jake Moore. Everybody knows him by Jake. He is the founding senior partner of the Moore Taylor Law Firm, where I work and how I got in the door just by shadowing Jake for two days. And he was kind enough to give this little redhead a chance. <laughs> um, but Jake has been practicing law for 43 years. He's been with this firm for 45. Wow. And he practices in the area of personal injury, civil litigation, criminal litigation, local government law, administrative law, education law, commercial litigation. He's a member of the South Carolina Trial Lawyers Association and the American Board of Trial Advocates. He's taught at the USC School of Law and lectured on continuing legal education seminars. He's also served as counsel to the Legislative Audit Council for the South Carolina General Assembly. He's won numerous Midlands legal elites, super lawyers. The king um, of Lexington <laughs> County. Yeah, <That's> basically. Right. <laughs> and he was re- recently won a, or was nominated for South Carolina Leadership in Law with the South Carolina Lawyers Weekly. And in addition to all of that, he spends his time doing a lot of civic work. He has founded the Irmo Arbor Day Committee. He's helped found the West Columbia Beautification Foundation. And for those of you who didn't know, Jake is a published children's author. He has written a book called Bruce the Moose. Which we have available for purchase if you would like. It. <laughs> look at look at you're such a company woman. That's very great. I have one in my office with a stuffed moose. That bonus is on its way. So yeah. uh, Jamie, we should just yeah yeah. We'll just go ahead and let Jake do the whole thing. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll just shut the microphone. We are uh, guys. Well, thank you for joining us. Um, we've had a couple of these, a few of these roundtables before, and the purpose is to kind of get some varied backgrounds on. Uh, the type of law that you guys do and um, talk about kind of what made you want to go into it, the trials and tribulations of it. So just briefly, we gave a little bit of your bio. We'll start with you, Jamie. Why plaintiff's law? Like why personal injury law? Well, plaintiff's law chose me, uh, not necessarily uh, personal injury at first. Um, I started in employment law. Uh, representing people in Title VII cases, discrimination cases. Um, and I really loved that. I got uh, a position at Mabry Law Firm when it was still around. By sheer luck, uh, Ben Mabry came and watched one of my mock trial practices and asked me to clerk for him, uh, and I got a job from there. Specifically, uh, personal injury, um, when Mabry uh, closed down, uh, I got a job uh, as in-house counsel for a telecom company, and I I loved it, but I didn't love it like I, I did helping right. people. And so uh, after a while, I just knew that my passion was helping people who couldn't necessarily help themselves. And that's what drove me to Mike Kelly Law Group, uh, and they're really passionate about people there. Awesome. Clark. We'll work our way down. So, Clark, how'd you end up in personal injury, starting from the roots of where every great trial lawyer starts at the public defender's office? So, you started the public defender's office and doing God's work, doing the doing the Lord's work, and you, you know, I felt unlike Bias, I felt that the natural transition into to civil practice would be plaintiff's work because the people that you're helping. The, the the indigent in the in the county in the state um, 
are natural people of of the plaintiff's work. It's the progress, the same people. It's the same group of people that need help. Somebody that has been aggrieved in a situation. Um, and so I thought it'd be a good fit. I'll be honest with you. They, I got lucky with Bluestein attorneys coming to you know seeing if I'd be interested in working with them. Um, and so uh, I just it was it was a great it was a great move at the time. It's just a great fit, unlike insurance defense work. Yeah, you know, uh, I, I go ahead. We can just need to take say shots it. at Joseph up, Bob. That's fine. You're wearing the black hat. I mean, that's essentially what sure. you're doing. You're wearing the black hat, I mean, and so you know, um, somebody's got to be the villain. Exactly. Yeah. Insurance um, so companies are people too, guys. <laughs> but uh, it's been it's it's a great fit, and you know, it still allows me. I think it would be difficult to for you to also have a criminal defense practice. To be honest. Absolutely. Absolutely. Whereas I can still do that. And so that's another reason why having that type of practice is nice as I can still, and I still do criminal defense. Um, not as great as uh, my man Dane <laughs> across here, who also happens to be a sweet mate of mine yes. in the office. Uh, and so uh, we've been lucky to have you in there. Um, it's been nice because a lot God, of the cases that I, a lot of the cases that I don't want to do anymore, I can. <laughs> uh, I'll be happy to take them all. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Nurture them. Okay. And Jake, your turn. <laughs> you know, uh, when I was being raised in Charlotte, we were raised in an area kind of like Olympia. I don't want to say I was raised in a log cabin I built myself. <laughs> it, it wasn't an easy way to be raised. And I had a paper route. Uh, I got my paper route when I was 10. I carried it from 10 to 16. And I'd read the newspaper every day as I was delivering the paper. And John Kennedy was running for president of the United States. I was reading about John Kennedy and listening to John Kennedy. And, you know, he said, ask not. I was all about whatever he was. And I came home and told my mama, I don't know what it means to be a lawyer, but whatever he is, I want to be one of them. (laughs) So at 10, I declared I was going to be a lawyer. I had teachers tell me that I, didn't have the academic prowess to go to college, much less law school. Was also told we didn't have the financial wherewithal to go to college or law school. But somehow or another, I woke up here, and I've been here since October of 1974. One of the big differences, I think, between what you guys do and what maybe some other practices do is you guys, I mean, Clark, you kind of talked about it. The same people kind of come in for the same things that y'all have, you know, you do a good job on someone's case. They're going to come back in. And I was curious about kind of how you deal with client access. You know, you, are you giving out your cell phone number to uh, people or, you know, are, are you answering calls at, you know, 10 o'clock at night? Um, because my clients tend to be from nine to five. And, you know, that's great. Uh, I was curious about yours. We'll start with Jay. You know, my, one of my mottos is the law office is open. If I'm awake, the law office is open. My card has my business number, my email, my cell number, and my home number on it. I ask the people not to call me at home just to ask what the status of the case is. You know, the law has pretty much been all I've done for 45 years. Uh, I go to church on Sundays. I go to the gym. I play with my grandkids, and that's about (laughs) it. Uh, it's from five o'clock in the morning until about nine or 10 o'clock every night. And it's Saturday mornings and Sunday afternoons. 
can vouch for that. I've seen the piles of dictation outside the paralegal doors when they come in. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just, it's open. And, you know, the clients, they know I work on Saturday morning, and they know I work on Sunday afternoon. And there have been days when I've had them seven and eight deep in the lobby with no no appointments. I was supposed to be here doing my work, and there they are. Right. But it's okay. That's my job. Clark, what about you? Same. Yeah. You know, um, you have, if you do criminal defense, obviously that's and, 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 and I, you know, I represent, particularly represent a lot of USC students. The only way you're going to get in touch with them is, you know, through text messaging. And I mean, a lot of, and a lot of my, uh, personal injury clients, it's text messaging. And, you know, it can be evasive at times, but I do think it's important for them to have good communication. And if that's the only way they can communicate, and a lot of people, that's really the only way they're going to be able to communicate. They might not have the minutes on their phone to be able to, to talk to you for very long on the phone. And so text messages, they might have a system where that's the best way for them to get it because they might have some sort of free texting that they can do. And so I'm not going to shut that out so that, I, you know, so that if that's the only way they can talk and they work different hours, our clients work all types of shifts. And so I don't think it's fair for me to say you can only get in touch with me from nine to five if you're working from nine to five and then you go work from seven to ten too on a second job. So. I try to stay open as much as possible. I take a little different approach. I'm just at the office all the time. <laughs> so there's really no uh, not having access to me for my clients. But but realistically, I, I compartmentalize. I have to compartmentalize. As Jake's already noted after meeting me for 30 seconds, I, I never stop thinking. And so if clients have access to me 24-7, I will never stop thinking about the law. I will stop thinking about my husband. I will stop thinking about my household duties and I will just focus on my clients. And so I've created a policy where uh, just personal boundaries. If someone needs my cell phone, I'll give them my number. Um, if they ask for it, I'll give it to them, but I don't hand it out indiscriminately and I also have turned off email notifications on my phone. So when I'm at home, I don't have that big red dot telling me you've got 85 emails that right. need to be answered. Uh, most of them are, are newsletters or spam. It can wait until the morning. So is the text message thing, obviously that's a new phenomenon. Jake, are you getting into the millennial text messaging era? <laughs> yeah. You know, one of the things about me is, I guess about 30 years ago, I came to the law firm and said, look, Technology is coming, and we're going to have choices. We can either ride the wave or be drowned by the wave. And my belief was that the law firm should become on the cutting edge of technology. And I had a bunch of dinosaurs I was practicing with. I got the first cell phone. I called grief about that. <laughs> we... um we decided we needed something called a fax machine. And they couldn't understand why we would pay whatever dollars it was for a fax machine. I bought the first word processor, and then we went to the personal computers, and then we went to the laser printers. And every time we would go to some form of advanced technology, the dinosaurs I practiced with would scream at me about wasting money, and then they would all have the same thing. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm I am not good with my hands, so my typing is horrible. But 
I have text messages. I have emails. I have internet access. I have the computer. I have, uh, we have a case management system. Uh, we have all of our bookkeeping, uh, computerized. We have electronic storage files and anything else we can find. That's, we have a, a video conferencing facility here. And again, if, if you, we have, we have uh, computerized legal research here. If you do not stay on the cutting edge of this, you had might as well quit. The thing that is so amazing to me, having watched the technology since the, what, since 1974, is the speed to which things move now compared to when I first started. You know, you're being bombarded with information. You now have computers that will talk back to you. You know, but you're, you're getting emails, text messages, uh, cell phone messages, faxes. The degree and the volume and the speed with which we all move now um, is something that has been an amazing thing to watch. We've become a whole lot more efficient. Um, I do think that the volume and the speed with which the practice now operates has not necessarily been a good thing for some of our nervous systems. You've got to well, I, I just recently, because I have my cell phone number on my business card as well, my phone is on vibrate because the constant ringing, I think, was giving. I could feel the anxiety when that phone, because it was ringing every two minutes. And so, trust me, I, this is not good for our mental health. I can yeah. You know, I think that if you're going to be a litigator, you've got to be somewhat crazy to begin with. Um, Agreed. And if you're going to be a true litigator, <clears throat> Now, you can be somebody who handles litigation, but if you're going to be a true litigator, um, <clears throat> which are becoming fewer and fewer these days, you've got to be almost insane, and you had to be built for it. The, um, the degree of stress and just overall, the over, overwhelming nature of the informational explosion, it, it takes somebody really with a special sort of mindset be able to handle that. I, so I taught up until, I guess, last week, a semester-long class, a civil litigation capstone class at the uh, law school. And one of my co-professors, Joseph Dickey, said that his most stressful part about being the plaintiff's attorney was the financial management. It's the fees. It's the trust accounts. How much, because I know you guys are from different size firms as well. Jamie, how much are you worried about that? How much is, is that always in the back of your mind as far as the collection of fees, you know, having that hard conversation with the client? You know, is that something that you all are, are having to deal with? Is it something that adds stress in addition to what uh, Jake said? May I ask you to clarify your question? Sure. Sis? What I mean when I say that is like, so... A lot of the new lawyers, the law students coming in, are really worried about how do they keep a trust account balanced or how do they, you know, have the conversation about contingency fees and costs. And these are things that, like, again, if you're a criminal defense person. Yeah, you have to have that conversation, too. I never do because it's it's all, you know, done in a contract. I'm just curious about how much the financial parts of being a plant attorney matter or if it matters or stresses you out at all. Obviously, y'all aren't 
solo practitioner. It doesn't stress me out to have the conversation with the clients about how our contingency fee works, why we do it. Um, and I always know that if, if the case, um, if resolution of the case necessitates it, uh, we can work with our, our fees okay. and costs. But as far as uh, the trust account, things like that, um, that that does stress me out. I am not managing our trust account, right. uh, but I do have to make sure that liens get paid. Uh, and And so you have to be very diligent before you disperse anything to your clients to make sure that every single lien uh, is accounted for and and gets paid. And that is a hard conversation to have with your clients. They don't understand why their doctors are getting paid uh, sometimes more than they are. Um, but the fact of the matter is it's for services rendered and and, and generally clients accept that. Uh, and, yeah, and to piggyback on that, it can be it can be difficult at the end of a case when you're trying to disperse, um, explaining that because, you know, your private health insurance company has paid X, they're going to potentially be entitled to that back, even though that they've been paying these premiums and all that stuff. Well, you have that subrogation agreement that you have with your insurance, you know, with your, with your health insurance company. I find it actually kind of easy sometimes when they have Medicare because you can explain to them, this is the federal government. They're always going to get their money. And that makes it a lot right. easier. It's, Even though it's it difficult does. to deal with Medicare, right. at least with Medicare, you can be like, you know the federal government wants their money. <laughs> They're always going to get their money. Right, right. So that becomes a difficult conversation. I do think that sometimes contingency fee agreements can be difficult to talk about with people because at the beginning of the case, they just want a lawyer and they want to sign up. And you then do a really good job for them and get them a good fair amount of money. And then they get real stingy. And they're like, well, why do you get a third of this or 40% right. or 25 or however you've set it up. Why, why do you get this money? This is my money. And you're, you know, you, we don't bill, you know, I do try to keep an idea of hours of time I've spent on a case as best you can. Um, but you, you can get a lot, you can get pushback. And so you have to be ready to swallow your pride a little bit and talk to them and negotiate. And, um, and other times you got to stand firm on your contract and say, you signed up for this at the, the beginning. You knew that this was going to be a risk for us. We paid all of this money out knowing that we might not get a dime of this. And so that becomes a difficult conversation. Now, for trust account stuff, I'm not in a management position either. And so I think you've got a great guy to talk to about how to – I still worry about my trust account because I, I know that I'm going to be responsible. But I have a great uh, set of partners that take care of that luckily for me. So I, that's uh, what I was going to say. Looking at it from that other lens, the managing partner aspect, uh, having that overall uh, management of the money, uh, I think is one yeah. of, is where Joseph was going. Is What's your opinion as far as how that? One of the things we do is we have a monthly meeting with all of the lawyers, and we require that each lawyer look at his trust account balances every month to make sure the money that's supposed to be there is there and money that's not supposed to be there isn't there. Uh, I think the Supreme Court has very clearly stated that you may have somebody managing it for you, but if that person runs off with the money, you got a problem. So we, 
once a month, each lawyer goes over his trust account numbers. You know, the financial aspects, um, the firms, um, they have several different aspects that are really interesting to me. And they've also become more difficult as time has gone by in ways. You talk about the problems with the clients. I don't really have problems with the clients when it comes to fees. Early on in my practice, I developed a doctrine. I made it up. I call it the doctrine of realistic and realized expectations. When the client comes in, I try to very realistically tell the client in painstaking fashion, okay, you think the case is worth a million dollars. Truly, if it's worth $250, you're lucky. This <laughs> is, and you play, you downplay. It's like, okay, you set realistic expectations. You make sure they understand, look, you've got Blue Cross and Blue Shield or Medicare, and we're going to have to deal with it. They're going to get a large portion of the money. Um, and you see the red flags. I mean, when the client comes in and tells you, I got an open and shut case that's worth $10 million, and I've, I'm <laughs> this, I've been to six large, and they say so too. I was like, well, have a nice day. Goodbye. Um, but if you have an honest discussion with them about, look, you're in Lexington County. People here are incredibly stingy on cases like this. Amen. Um, but you tell them that. Um, you know, you've got these problems liability-wise. You have these problems coverage-wise. And they understand when they leave the problems that exist in their case. Uh, the good stuff will take care of its own. And when you exceed, the expectations which have been set, you make sure they know that you've exceeded those expectations <laughs> and you're a great lawyer and they'll come back to you. Right. The other portions of the financial end that are amazing to me is all of these kids are coming out of the law school with a hundred, dollars $150,000 worth of debt. I know something about that. <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> and the law school really doesn't teach you how to practice law. I actually had one of the deans of the law school admit to me that they were not teaching people how to practice law. They said the practice would teach it to them. Well, yeah, those that don't become alcoholics or commit suicide. You put them out here, and so many of them wind up either hanging a shingle and getting scared or disillusioned or overworked. Um. And the money just eats them up. You know, when I first started practicing law, secretary cost fifteen, twenty thousand dollars a year. They cost more than that now. You know, office space at fifteen, twenty dollars a square foot, liability insurance, health insurance, um, all the different expenses. You know, I know every month I know when I come in on the first day of the month, I've got to generate $100,000 this month to break even. I know that, and I'll do it. Um, that's a stressor. Now, I'm 67. 
I can walk away from this place tomorrow. It's not going to change my lifestyle at all. Ember's face just turned down. (laughs) (laughs) But, but you got kids coming out, and not only do they have the where's this money coming from, you can be the greatest, the, the best lawyer I ever knew, starved to death, practicing law, because he did not know how to generate the business. You got to have the business in order to do the business. And I'll sell shoes before I'll advertise. I'm just not going to do it. Um, so you have, you have all of these huge economic stressors business wise. Then you have these giant economic stressors personal wise. You have these huge student loans. You have mortgages now. Houses are costing a couple hundred thousand dollars to get something decent. Cars going to cost you forty, fifty thousand dollars. Um, my God, just to have an ordinary standard of living, you got to be cranking some dollars. And there are what fifteen thousand lawyers in the state now. I am fortunate enough that I was here long enough to where I have a practice bill. But these kids coming out, they've been out two, three, four, five years. Um, you would say it's almost like walking malpractice and the sure. weight of the stress. And-, and with what the law school doesn't teach, all right, I will say that to them. Any of those deans that want to talk to me, I'm happy to talk to them because they don't like me very much because I say this all the time. You put these kids on the street and you're creating nervous breakdowns. You're creating alcoholics. You're creating suicides. You're creating a problem that's just waiting to happen. And those stressors, those stressors economically are getting worse. And as we see the legislators taking away more and more the access to the courts, and we see what the advertising has done to the attitude of jury panels, uh, you go in a wreck, you go, you take a wreck case in Lexington County and you stand up in front of a jury and you say, I'm Jake Moore and my client was involved in, a, in an automobile collision. You hear all the sighs, all the air go out of the room. The prejudice that now has been generated, um, by the advertising across the TV sets has destroyed the ability to get a decent verdict. Now you can still get them. But you have to really know what you're doing. And when you've got kids that have come out of school and they've been practicing three, four, five years, they may have a good case. But if they don't really know what they're doing or have anyone to show them, then they have somebody who's got been practicing 45 years comes up and eats them. Let me um, ask you guys this, because unfortunately we could talk about this all day. We're mm-hmm. running low on time. I'm going to limit you all because, again, I'm on the other side. I'm a defense attorney, so I'm used to you guys just, you know. You don't have good war stories. Right, right, right. No. Guys, let's um, just get to it. No we'll, one's we'll, hugged you, Joseph. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no insurance we'll, adjusters ever hugged you. That's, that's true. No insurance. But, no you clients know. ever brought you coloring books. But <laughs> I've, I've also gone blind on uh, demands from uh, some of these uh, folks, so I couldn't see the hug coming if, I, if it was coming. All right. <laughs> We uh, like to end our podcast with a uh, um, segment called War Stories. Uh, all lawyers have a particular story that makes them laugh, um, particularly poignant. Um, start with you, Jake. 
particular war story uh, you know you want to share with us? Uh, I know There's so you, many. Yeah, you got you got a, a probably a little <laughs> stack of them. Within forty three years, I'm sure there's no, a few. No real story jumps to mind. There's a there is a story that I heard for the criminal defense lawyers that will like this. Okay. Um, I read this one in a book, so it didn't happen to me. <laughs> a lawyer in North Carolina was doing a plea in front of a judge who was kind of tough on sentencing. And the guy was known to be just a jerk. Uh, robitis worse than anything in the world. And um, the lawyer says, Your Honor, my client is here. He did something wrong. He's not here asking for justice. He's here asking for mercy. And the old judge looks over the bench and says, Your client doesn't deserve mercy. <laughs> and the lawyer, in a very kind, gentle voice, says, Well, Your Honor, if he deserved it, it wouldn't be mercy. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. That's it. <laughs> Dean just started beating. With, yeah. Yeah. With that element of grace, we'll move on <laughs> yeah. to, to Clark Newton. So, B.I. said, try to avoid PDE war stories, because those are the best ones. Right. And I got a ton of them, but this is the plaintiff's round table. Yeah. You can't beat it. And so I was trying to think of one, and, and this one is a lesson. The lesson is, the question that you ask in the deposition, have you ever been arrested, is very, very, very important. And so you ask that a lot to lay witnesses, and sometimes you actually get an answer. But a lot of times it's kind of glanced over with expert witnesses. Um. But we had a case. Uh, it was a medical malpractice case. It was tried out in Florence. And I had, we had jumped in kind of late in the game uh, for the trial uh, purposes. So I was not involved in the depositions of the experts. Um, but I am assigned to cross-examine the expert coming up for trial. So I'm doing a little bit of research. And I'm looking for some articles that he's written. And I notice in one of my Google searches that he might have had a little problem visiting the University of Florida, which I found quite interesting since I am a Florida Gator. So I started doing a little digging, and it turned out that the doctor had gone to a game at Florida and had a little bit too much fun and was asked to leave. And he didn't want to leave, and so he was escorted out and arrested. Uh, and we all happened, fall short of the glory. And they happen to have... They happen to have... um taking his mugshot and put it on the internet because everything's on the internet. So um, I get this and I go back to the, cause I'm like, well, of course I pray that my co-counsel had asked the question and he did. And the doctor said, no, I've never been arrested. So we're getting up when we're in trial and we are uh, the plant, the defense attorney puts up their expert and their expert gets all their qualifications and all their qualifications. Uh, and it's my turn to do Vordier of the expert. And I had debated and debated, debated. Do I do this in front of the jury? And when it came down to it, I was like, if I do this in front of Judge Nettles, in front of his jury, mm-hmm. he will lose his mind. Because the defense had no idea. And obviously the jury would, it would just be pandemonium. So I get up and I say, uh, we have a matter outside of the presence of the jury. And I ask him the question. Now, uh, to avoid strong objections, to get to the outside of the presence of the jury, I'd asked him, 
have you ever been in violation of a statute requiring physicians to report right. any arrests that they had had? And he said no. And that's the triggering point. So I use that so I don't say anything inflammatory in front of the jury because it's some weird statute. Mm-hmm. Trigger it. Get them out. And it was it was it was crazy. <laughs> and uh, he starts freaking out. And he starts texting. He's got his phone, and he's texting, and he's texting the defense attorney. And I'm sitting there going, Judge, he's talking to the, you know, I'm pointing, and I'm going, what, what is going on? And he's losing his mind. And um, the judge the judge is like, what the? And I hand him his mugshot, and I go, is that your mugshot? And everything goes over there, he's crazy. And the defense attorney's like, you didn't give this to us? And I'm like, I didn't have to. Yeah. It's impeachment evidence. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so we avoid the jury... Seeing all of this, they actually get him removed. They just take him off the stand, which was awkward. <laughs> and so I was like, you know, I felt that was like I was really good. That was good, and Nettles appreciated that, and we were able to move on with the trial, and we lost. <laughs> and I always look back and I go, I should have cost me an audience. I should have cost one of You should have ripped his head off yeah. in front of the jury. That was a good story. Uh, all right, James. Okay, so since this uh, is a plaintiff's roundtable, I will... This isn't necessarily a war story, but it was an assault to my dignity. Uh, and <laughs> so, we all have plenty of those. You, you know, you see all of the commercials, you think uh, plaintiff's attorneys will take any case, but we won't. Um, I had a, a someone come in when I first started at Mike Kelly's, uh, probably within the first month. Um the case, there was no case there. Uh, it had been 10 years since this um, thing happened that he discussed, but the individual came in. Uh, he had a cane. He was walking with a limp, um, and it was February, and he had a flip-flop on one foot uh, because it had been injured. And during our meeting, he pulls a sock out of his pocket, and it's filled with stuff. It's filled, it's got money, loose bills, it's got cigarettes, it's got just every, it was Mary Poppins' bag, and it was a sock. And he lays it all out on the table. And, you know, I've just started. Our motto is, we're here for the people of South Carolina. And this gentleman looks at me, and he says, you know, my hips hurt, and my foot is really cold. Do you mind Putting this sock on for me. Yes. <laughs> and I didn't take his case. <laughs> but I'm ashamed to say I did put his sock on for him. You're here uh, for South Carolina. We are here. The lawyer for the people. I can't wait to read that Yelp review. I've since learned uh, that, that that motto... Uh, it has its limits. <laughs> yes, yes. I don't think Mike would say so, but. <laughs> well, thanks, you Oh, yeah, actually, I'm doing closing. Yeah, Sorry. Yeah, this is new for me. Normally, y'all yeah. put me at the beginning. Yeah, no. But I get to do no, the y'all y'all now. Segway on. So, again, thank y'all for listening to the podcast. We greatly appreciate your support. And thank you to Jamie. Thank you to Clark. Thank you so much to Jake for being on our panel today. You can follow our, well, I don't know that the Moore Taylor Law Firm has social media except for Facebook. Other than that, you can visit our website at moretaylorlaw.com. And Clark, what's yours? Um, you can visit my law firm at bluescenattorneys.com. 
I think that's also our Twitter and our Facebook. Yeah. I'm not 100%. I think it's and I'm attorneys. Attorney yeah. All yeah, all yeah it's all the blue state. Just, yeah. yeah, search for all of that. That'd be great. All right, Jamie, do you have any social media tags for our listeners? Uh, absolutely. Our our website is mklawgroup.com. Uh, Facebook is where you'll get the most from us, and we are here for the people. Uh, <laughs> we'll Facebook. put a sock on your foot. Yeah, right. <laughs> and the uh, Mike Kelly Law Group on Instagram. And Brewster Moose is for sale <laughs> in the uh, Moore Taylor Law Firm. You Buy your kids the book. Greatest Promo children's book and ever. And the stuff moves. <laughs> and the stuff. And remember, you all, you can follow us at SC Law Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can follow me at Joseph P. Bias. Follow Dane at SC Crim Lawyer. Make sure you follow him and then nominate him for best DUI attorney <laughs> at freetimes.com. Um, and then you can follow Amber at Red Judicata on Twitter. Um, so thank you all to guests. They have to go because yes. they have to go write insane demands that they don't really mean to uh, oh, defense attorneys. Um, but for our guests today, for uh, Brindy, our producer, Amber, and Dane, um, we'll talk to you guys next week. Yes, thank you. Bye, y'all. All right. Thank you.